There is this deep mystery that St. Paul writes about. And here in Colossians is sort of the, I guess, the touchstone of that mystery, if you will. He says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. This is a powerful, powerful statement that has caused a lot of consternation at times throughout Christianity. But through the ages, some brilliant men and women have come to understand this as the daily living out of what's called the great Paschal mystery. The Polish poet, Cyprian Norwood, imagined it this way. So the, the great Paschal mystery, that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the great pictures about the great Paschal mystery. You have, obviously, the Christ is the lamb, and you can see his blood coming into the Eucharistic cup, and then just a human next to him, which is which is all part of this mystery. So here's, here's what this Polish poet, Cyprian Norwood, imagined it this way. Not with the cross of the Savior behind you, but with your own cross behind the Savior. This is, for me, one of the most important parts of our Christian faith is this mystery. And... It wasn't until I first started studying it, I think it was about 15 years ago, that I started to come to terms with a lot of things I hadn't come to terms with yet. That's why it was refreshing this morning to hear Dave. I love whenever, Dave doesn't always talk before we do music, but today he was just really speaking from deep inside himself, and I love that. Through the centuries, the cross has just become, like I said at the beginning of church day, sort of just a doctrine. <coughs> something we're removed from, something that maybe we don't always understand. And when it's just a doctrine about personal salvation, I think it loses some of its mystery, some of its power, maybe even some of its importance to our faith. So what I want to do today is talk a little bit about this mystery. Because when we can see the cross, like the poet here says, when we can see the cross as not simply a moment in time, Okay? And when we can see the sufferings of Christ, not just during those hours of Calvary. Okay? But when we understand the very real sufferings of his body, that's you and I, the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. So when we understand our sufferings, and all believers that have been before us, all believers that will come after us, and understand that suffering as the redemptive process itself, when we can understand that, then we can understand that our own suffering, while having unique and specific causes, is really an invitation to participate in the suffering of Christ. Think about this and to understand our very personal suffering as truly being part of the suffering of Christ that saves the world. This is huge, and this is what Paul was getting at. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying we're God and we save ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the biblical narrative, God in the flesh, that's why I played that great song. Well, for me, it's a great song. Some of you are probably wondering, why is David playing this song? But that song, Flesh and Blood, was so powerful to me. 
Because yes, throughout everywhere we look, we can see maybe something divine and something important and something beautiful. But at the end of the day, we need flesh and blood. And this story that I so fully believe in, that Christ is God, that's why. God in the flesh. Powerful. And not just God in the flesh, but God dying. So, the fact that Paul said this thing, that he said, let me go back to it. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering, because I fill up in my suffering what is still lacking in regards to Christ's suffering for the sake of his body, the church. So, this is grace wrapped in profound mystery, and it can change everything for us. Because not only then are we holding on to a reconciliation in the future, we can engage now our suffering as something incredibly powerful and life-changing and redemptive. Not in vain. Not senseless. Okay? An unnamed Jesuit monk captures this mystery better than I am doing right now when he writes this. Now, when we look at the Paschal mystery in the context of our religious beliefs in the life of Jesus Christ, we come to a deeper meaning of dying and rising. Jesus Christ's passion, death, resurrection, and ascension are the ultimate event of dying and rising, of death and new life. We learn from Jesus that new life can come from death that we can find meaning in tough times, that there really is light in the darkness. And he continues. We learn that all life has this rhythm of dying and rising, and that God is with us in good times and in bad. Christ's experience of suffering, death, and new life has forever changed us and given us a different way of living. Death no longer has the last word. We have the power of hope that new life will come from death. So becoming conscious of our own dyings and risings helps us have a greater sense of compassion for others and a greater willingness to reach out. See, this is transformative, this mystery. Much more transformative than this simple doctrine that, oh, if I believe the right thing about this cross then I'm saved and going to heaven. Okay, well, in the meantime, what do we do? What is all this pain and suffering about? Is it all senseless? Or is it part of a much bigger story that we're engaged in, that grace welcomes us into? It's like in a few days here, Sonori's going to have a baby, but in order to have that baby, she is going to enter into the most intense physical suffering known to humanity. But here's what's amazingly, incredibly beautiful about that, is that in Scripture, more than once, God calls himself a woman in labor, groaning and panting and screaming. That is a consistent image of, not a consistent, it's a powerful image of God. And in that powerful image of God, think of that. So in the old days, when before all these metaphors were explored and understood, right? Everyone always thought of, of oh, this women in labor being just this horrible consequence of this 
judgment of God's. Well, whatever brought on the travails of labor, I don't know, but I know this, when God is among us, he enters even that. He is in that. So Sonori, in those moments of, of incredible pain and bliss that you're about to have, think on that. God is, God is a pregnant woman giving birth, suffering to give birth. And so in this mystery, this is what we have. No pain is senseless. No pain is a waste. It's all about the redemption of the world. And it's stunningly beautiful, and grace allows us to participate in that. And so in our text today, where we are in the book of Galatians, we have a very approachable example of living into this mystery that I, can, I think can help us all understand a little better and apply it to our lives. Paul explains that he preached the gospel to the Galatians because he was sick. All right? So, I think this is meant to be understood on two levels. One, the obvious level, that if he didn't get sick, it's a logistical thing. If he didn't get sick, he never would have ended up in Galatians. He never would have preached the gospel. Okay, fine. I think that's true. But I think there's something else very true about this. Is that living with the hope of the gospel despite his illness is always a powerful preaching of the gospel. And maybe, you know, I've said this in the last couple of weeks, maybe one of the reasons we've gone into talking so much about the gospel is because we don't live it anymore. And maybe this is one of the areas we don't live the gospel anymore. We treat suffering and sickness and death the same way everybody does. Right? But maybe that's the whole point. The gospel is, is not follow me and I'll take care of everything and make you rich and successful and pain-free and heal all your sicknesses. The gospel is follow me into this incredible, beautiful mystery that saves the world. Die with me. And trust me, it's okay. Because just like a woman giving birth, life is on the other side of this cross. But of course, why I like this and why I bring this up today is because this is easier to understand. We all know what it is to be sick. We can't identify often with the cross, right? The cross is really hard to identify. Like, are we ever going to get crucified? Probably not. But we can identify with this. This is the Paschal mystery. Right here. Just living out this mystery in front of others. Okay? So what I want to do today is I'm going to have a conversation with someone who has really been living this Paschal mystery lately, because I think having this conversation with this person will do more than I could ever do preaching a sermon on this. So Rich, could you come up, please? So it was a year ago Friday, two days ago, a year ago, two days ago, that my good friend here and my often mentor and teacher was told he had pancreatic cancer. So, before we get into the mystery part, just share with us the raw, human, honest reactions to knowing your life was suddenly changed forever. What was that like? 
Uh, I think a couple different levels. I, as I shared, um, you know, this past year um, when talking about this, it kind of came at an interesting time in my life because I just turned 50 and just thinking of being locked in and career and all these things that I, I wanted to do, it seemed like I wouldn't be able to do. And so I had this, it wasn't necessarily a midlife crisis, but it was, you know, feeling, uh, as I just to use that analogy I shared, was just like uh, Jimmy Stewart and It's a Wonderful Life when he's on the bridge feeling like, ah, you know, it's like, uh, what's, um, you know, where's my life going, you know, all, and everything. And all of a sudden in just, you know, this radical, you know, few moments, all of a sudden just flipping that all around into all of a sudden, instead of like dreading getting older, I just wanted that opportunity to grow older, to, you know, just thinking about, me personally, and it's like there's there's still so many things I want to do. I'm only you know 50, um, and then thinking immediately about Kim and the boys, and you know certainly feeling a sense of responsibility for you know as far as you know what I need to be in, in their life is playing that role, and also just from an experience standpoint, you know I there's so many things Kim and I want to do. We want to grow old together. We want to you know, see our boys get married, we want to be able to, to have, you know, to uh, be with our grandkids, those kind of things. So all of those things, and I mean, it just like in that hospital on that day, uh, I had one, literally had one of those life flashes before my eyes standpoint, of like thinking immediately of things I've done in the past, think of, you know, ultimately, especially at that moment, thinking of a gravestone and just the reality of that, the harsh reality of um, and just, yeah, I mean, I think that that, that was the immediate uh, aftermath was just the, the rawness, the, the sense of, you know, going into the hospital thinking it was just some minor surgery that I was worried about. Uh, I want to make sure I could get, get out before the Super Bowl last year. So all of a sudden, wow, this is something completely different. So did you have times of anger or fear in those initial hours? I, I think it went from fear to peace in almost a span of five minutes um, in wow. the sense of, uh, you know, here was this, just this raw emotion, this fear, not thinking, you know, the being surprised that I was going to have to deal with this at this point in my life, to this overwhelming sense of presence of God, and, and it, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I, I've talked with different people, and I've struggled with it, too, in the sense of, um, in our course of our normal life, trying to feel close to God, and I'm reaching out to him, I just don't sense that he's there. I guess one perspective, maybe I, as I think about this, and I think about how that's impacted, and how I've experienced it, is I maybe it's that we don't truly need them in those some of those times, that maybe because we have a certain amount of safety net, we have a certain amount of security in our own situation that, I don't know, for whatever, that's a mystery to me, but maybe it's different. But I guess the thing that struck me was, at that moment when I most needed him, he was uh, there in the most profound way that I've ever experienced in my life. And just, uh, 
you know, as I think about just that, as what David has been talking about in this, this mysterious aspect of God participating in our sufferings, I, I felt that, you know, and just, and continue to, to, to feel that. And to, to, it's, to be, have him alongside of me in not just some, it's more than just some kind of platitude kind of thing. It was, to me, it's a very literal kind of thing. And, um, you know, I experienced that, that first day on February 2nd last year, and, you know, so many times <coughs> since then. And so as, as it went from this initial shock and then into the long grind of chemo and sick and chemo and sick, what were some of the things that you did to, to sort of dive deeper into this mystery, this idea that how did you, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, how did you learn to understand your suffering as bigger than your own suffering, something that was... Christ was there, you were there together on this, in this journey. What were some of the things, like, did you have certain practices, are there verses, were there, I, I don't know, things you read, or how, how did you do it? I think, um, you know, you and I were talking about this whole Pascal mystery at that time, and I think from a theological level, it kind of brought certain insights to me that maybe I never had considered before, uh, and profound uh, comfort in the sense of it's not just God walking alongside me, but this actual participation in this mystery as far as what am I experiencing of his and, and uh, what is uh, you know, what is he of mine? And that's, I still don't feel like I have my head wrapped around, you know, you can hear uh, and we've talked, David and I have talked about this before and then hearing him this morning it's still one of those things that, ah, it's still just as big a mystery. But there's a certain comfort and intimacy that, that uh, I think that we can experience as we dive into this with him. So I think that's one thing. I think also just the, you know, the kind of the ups and downs of going through something like this is that we're going to have certain rawness. We're going to have certain, like, the realities. And, uh, and then also, though, on the flip side of just experiencing a peace after that, as we go through those kind of ups and downs and stuff, but all, always, um, you know, living into that peace. And I think, you know, Kim and I, one of the things that we really clung to is we've been talking this morning about hope. And I feel like that's, you know, living into that hope, I think, has been such a big part of, um, of this whole experience over the past year. I was, I had to dig up this, uh, Exchange from uh, Shawshank Redemption, which um, uh, you know most people probably have seen this. If like we did a retreat on that movie a couple of years ago as a ch as a church and stuff, and focused on it and things that we could get from it. There's one uh, there's one exchange that I wanted to just read this morning because uh, to me it kind of summarizes a lot of uh, my experience anyway. And the main character, so the the, the people. They're, at a, they're in prison, uh, this group of prisoners, and one guy was just in solitary confinement, and they were, these, these other, his friends were asking him about his experience, and he said, Andy said, I had Mr. Mozart to keep me company, and it was in, he, uh, and so he points to his head, and then he points to his heart. Uh, 
that's the beauty of music. They can't get that away from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? And his best friend, who's a lot more jaded and, and cynical, he says, well, I played a mean harmonica as a younger man, lost interest, though, uh, though. didn't make too much sense in here. And Andy, the main character, responds, no, here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Brad responds, forget. And then Andy says that there are places in the world that aren't made of stone, that there's something inside they can't get to, that they can't touch. It's yours. Uh, and then Red responds, what are you talking about? Andy says, hope. And then Red, the jaded one, says, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You, beget, you better get used to that. And it, this, that whole exchange, I think, reminds me of the challenge that we have, and especially in a very cynical society world, that you know, so many people are, you know, and sometimes common sense almost makes you just want to say there's no hope. But then that's the thing is like if you reach it beyond that, and you, um, as we've been talking all morning, that's where you know I feel like that's where we have to cling to. And you know, as, like Kim and I, as we've been talking about this, the hope of not just in you know looking for uh, a cure for me, and from a you know a, uh, a short-term standpoint, because best case, what's it, 30, 35 years? You know, I mean that's that's a good thing, but I mean there's something in, from a faith standpoint, it's far beyond that. You know, it's like even in the worst case scenario, the hope of uh, life after death, the hope of eternity that we have, um, and that's what we're. You said something that struck me in the middle of that, Rich. You said, you know, in the ups and downs. And I think that's important for all of us because one of the things that we can become cynical of, Dave and I have talked about this a lot at times when he was in the middle of abandoning his early form of Christianity, is that sometimes Christians, we make each other think it's just an easy thing. You know, oh, everything's fine. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what the Paschal Mystery is about. God himself in the flesh had his moments of doubt and despair. Jesus cried out, I don't want this. Do you know And I, I think, it, as you said, there were those ups and downs. That's an important part of living into this mystery. This isn't putting on a smiley face. Everything's great. Be happy. No. But it's about understanding, like, not becoming red. I, I like how you brought that up. Not becoming red and saying, ah, there's no hope. But becoming Andy and, and recognizing, yeah, this is real. And this is really bad, and I don't want this, but there's something bigger. It's part of a bigger story. And I think that's what this Paschal Mystery can do. So obviously, we're only going to know the full impact of how your sufferings helped you preach the gospel. But um, we're only going to know that full impact you know, then when, when eternity reveals a lot of these stories. But do you have any, were there any kinds of stories along the way? I know you kept a Facebook thing or there. Any kinds of stories where you, you knew people were being impacted by by watching you, the metaphor we used was climb Everest? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I think it, that was kind of like our outlet into just kind of share what was going on and stuff was through a, a Facebook group. Um, and it definitely seemed like, it is kind of funny, like as we would go through different parts of the, of the process through chemo and, and radiation last year and stuff, I might be talking about something very directly related to, you know, chemo and struggling with that and the nausea and everything. And, you know, somebody else is, 
you know, not dealing with that specifically, but other parts of their life, um, you know, going through a, you know, what would be a, a similar crisis, and just being able to, you know, as we share together that, we, that um, one person's struggle can really, others can draw courage upon or can draw, um, you know, inspiration or, or perspective, and I think that's the, the, um, the, I don't know, just the awesome aspect of what, you know, as we're living life together, uh, how God can use that in some amazing ways. Yeah, and I mean, you work in a, in a company that isn't by any stretch a quote-unquote Christian company, but I mean, there must have been a lot of, and just, they must have been like, Rich, why are you so, you're working, you're peaceful, what? Oh yeah, especially, yeah, like talking with my boss and stuff like that, we've had some really uh, amazing conversations that I never would have dreamt possible before, before all this, and it ends how things like this kind of just, uh, you kind of brush aside a certain amount of formality and stuff, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and just realize that it's just, you know, this is life. Yeah, see, that's, that's so beautiful, and that's a lot what Paul is saying right here. Without this illness, I don't preach the gospel to Galatia. Without this, you have, you just said, I've had conversations with my boss, I never would have had. Oh, yeah. These are just such opening things. Um, and is it carrying on now, now that you know, you, you've reached a beautiful milestone, but ordinary life, well, your life is never going to be ordinary again, um, because it's a, it's a monthly, right, it's a, it's a monthly visit to make sure things are still where they need to be, but does it carry on into just other normal parts of life? The, this understanding how this mystery, not understanding fully, but living into the mystery, does it carry over into now the lesser pains, I'll call them, of life? Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to draw on one other quote. I yep. just love movie quotes. Um, <laughs> this is from Lord of the Rings, uh, when Frodo, he's, he's talking to Gandalf, and he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And then Gandalf replies, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And I think that, as I think about living into the mystery, it's kind of like, you know, here, you know, uh, it's one of those things. There's so much uncertainty, even on a month-to-month -month basis, you know, and it's one of those things that can, for, we can, I don't think we ever forget about it. We can, you can kind of, you know, go on and, and just put it in the back of your mind and stuff, but then, yeah, the, the reality of going to the hospital and getting a scan every two months and, and everything is, uh, you know, brings back to that. But I think it's just, um, at the same time, it, it is, you know, what are we gonna do with, um, with the time that God has given to us, you know, whether it's however many years it is, you know, and uh, I think that we all live in that, that same uncertainty I think I just, it, it's just more real to me, uh, but it's really the same for everybody. And, and I know for me, and, and Rich, thanks so much for just being willing to share this one. I just thought just talking back and forth about this would be good because I know for me, you know, over a year ago, I, I believed in this. Like I said earlier, I've been studying this Paschal Mystery for 15 years. I think it's, it, it, is, it is the biblical story and it's, it's amazing. But... Up until this last year, I mean, I had read stories of people living it incredibly and heard rumors of that. But to, to be able to watch you actually live it as you did and fill up these sufferings that Paul talks about 
um, was for me a powerful testimony, and it, it made it it made me embrace the gospel at another level that I hadn't before. So, so it was. It's it's been impactful. It continues to be impactful, and hopefully, you know, you being in all of our lives has helped all of us, and will continue to help us all as we now are in our own suffering. Sarah's in her in the middle of her suffering with her mom, and, and to be able to understand these things as a much bigger bigger story than just unfortunate, random, unfair issues of living in a fallen world. Thanks, Rich. Thanks very much. So here's the thing. Loss, pain, great suffering all bring questions, right? They all bring questions. Even knowing there's a mystery behind it don't, does not stop the questions. These are important questions. They're honest questions. They're powerful questions. The problem is most of the questions, maybe even all of them, don't have an answer. That's the unfortunate side of, of human suffering. God certainly didn't answer Job's questions. To read Job carefully is to know God didn't answer his questions. There is, you know, I, I, I'm always a little um, surprised when people want to use the book of Job as an answer to suffering. It's not. That's sort of the majesty of that book. It's not an answer to suffering at all. It just explores suffering. Um, and in fact, the only answers given in that book God shows up and very powerfully and clearly says, yeah, those aren't answers. You're all wrong. So this is the thing about suffering. It's hard. And we want answers. We're an answer people, right? We're such an answer people. We want to figure it out. We want to know. We want to know why. Why? And then God shows up in the flesh. And as Jesus, he did not even try to explain away suffering and pain or fear. He didn't try to explain it away. He didn't try to explain where it came from. But what Jesus did is instead of trying to explain it and talk about it, he simply pointed to the greatest story. And he said to us, yes, hate comes, but it's not the end of the story. Love is. He said, yes, pain comes, but it's not the end of the story. Healing is. Yes, loss comes, but it's not the end of the story. Redemption is. And yes, death comes, but it is not the end of the story. Resurrection is. And so from this side of the story to that other side of the story, God is with us in everything. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that we can stop. The old dynamic that, you know, where are you, God? Well, he's with us. Always. Especially maybe in suffering. Maybe especially because he is a suffering God. And so grace upon grace invites us to understand that he is with us in our suffering. He's truly with us, suffering with us, and our suffering is part of his work to redeem the world. I think to grasp that can change everything for us. Amen.